Hi, I'm Lina Besanova, and you're listening to the Photochromatic Podcast. I have a super awesome guest for you today, folks. The Duchess of the Darkroom, Lena Bessanova. Welcome to the Photochromatic Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Jacobs. My guest today was born in Mother Russia and currently resides in Florence, Italy. She burst into the photography scene in 2017 with her first published book called At Home. Since then, she has hosted exhibitions, workshops, and even writes for the photography magazine Photo Classic. You can also catch her on YouTube, where she hosts a channel dedicated to analog film and darkroom printing. I'm truly excited to have her on the show. Lena, thank you so much for agreeing to be on. You know, I say yes to everyone, unless it's something really dodgy. So that's why I got a couple episodes up before I started reaching out to people, because anyone could reach out and just be like, sure, I have a podcast. Well, you know, I, I like supporting people who are beginning things as well. I don't differentiate like, oh, I'm going to go on this podcast because it had like 200 episodes and I'm not going to go on a small one. No, I don't think that the quality of the content actually depends that much about on the amount of episodes, first of all. And second of all, I was also a beginner in things and i'm grateful to people who supported me back then now it's very easy to support me so see you're paying it forward how wonderful <laughs> yeah so yeah uh i found you actually i think it was the emulsive interview you did yeah and i was really impressed that you were so passionate about darkroom work and to hear this photographer be like i don't shoot because i want to be a photographer i shoot because i want stuff to do in the darkroom yes 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 <laughs> i've never heard that uh that view before you are basically from start to finish it is all your work i appreciate that because not everyone has that skill and not everyone has access to these things so i'm really glad you take advantage of it and i like that your perspective is opposite of most photographers. They're usually shooting to shoot. To shoot. Yeah, to get <laughs> images. That's why, you know, I cannot stand 35 millimeter. I try. Oh my God, I, I'm seeing a shot right now. I, I'm very sorry, but it's like this light is amazing. Hey, if you post it, I'll be super happy. Oh, the light is fantastic. Oh my God, I'm going to die. Oh, it's so beautiful. I have this film to test, so I actually don't really know how it's going to. Oh, is, is this the Adox film? It is an uh, Adox CHS 100 film. It existed before, but then it kind of went out of stock, and now they're producing it again, so oh, nice. I'm just testing it. Okay, looks good. I want to go further. <laughs> Sorry, you just... No, you you take shots. I love the fact that, that one of my guests is like, nope, I have a shot. I'm going to take it now. But it's worth it. It's so pretty. It really is. And if you wait, the light's going to go away. Yes, exactly. Because I know I'm going to be talking to you for a while. And yeah. the light right now is like, it's incredible. So what, uh, this is a 100 ASA film? Yes, yes. It's 100 and it's real 100 because I processed already one roll and it was like totally 100. You shouldn't overexpose it. If you overexpose it, the highlight is just like... Are you recording already? Yes, of course. I've been recording ah! since you got oh, on. <laughs> With the video? No, no, no. I'm not recording video. Okay. No, no, no. It's not a video cast. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. <laughs> 
goodness. And I yeah. <laughs> no one wants to watch me with a blanket behind me. No one wants that. I was looking at this blanket, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is not like a fancy backdrop. No, no, no. No. So my apartment is like the size of a walk-in closet. So I have to uh-huh. make this wall of towels around me so I don't have this like roomy sound. Ah, ah, you know what? In Soviet Russia, uh, to uh, sound isolate the rooms, they were putting carpets on the uh, on the walls. Yeah, that's actually the best thing to do. Oh, and I forgot you're an audio engineer like you. You were in radio and media. I was. Well, in reality, it was 10 years ago already huh? when I was working on the radio. But I was not a sound engineer. I was just a radio presenter. So I was like. Hey guys, today's an amazing day. What music are we gonna listen nice. to? Nice. Stuff like this. Yeah. Okay, let's let's get back to Adox. Ooh, let's get back to Adox. Yes, because you've posted some episodes. Uh, you w- yeah. actually went to Adox. Yeah. Yes, and I did. You were clearly a kid in a candy store. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid in a candy store. It was amazing. You were extremely happy. I was very happy. Yes. Wouldn't you be? Oh, man, I would anywhere. If I could get access to anything like that, yeah, I would be super right? excited. Yeah. Maybe if anyone's listening, Kodak, Ilford, Adox. <laughs> <laughs> I'd gladly take a tour. So Adox kind of wasn't on anyone's radar for a very long time. They were, they were kind of defunct for a while, weren't they? I love this. Uh, okay, they were not defunct for any while. Okay. Just in America, they're not that known. And actually, before I met the owner of Adox, I didn't even know. I also, I was, I had your opinion about the company. I thought they produce something somewhere. I heard this brand, but like God knows who they are and what they do. You know, I lived in Italy and I've never seen a single bottle of Adox chemistry in my entire life. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in Switzerland, I lived before and there I haven't seen anything. I haven't ever seen Adox films and Adox paper. I've seen once in my friend's darkroom. And so it, honestly, I even thought that it was old paper. I didn't even think it was produced nowadays. So then there was this event that I was mediating the analog dialogues and uh, the guy who was organizing it with me, he was like, oh, and I can invite the Adox owner. I was like, huh? <laughs> they exist? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, I, I was super excited about this. And then uh, he invited me to see the factory and uh, me and my dog went. And guess what? They are not defunct at all. They're very much functioning. They have this factory in Switzerland, which is actually a factory of Ilford that went bust and they took it over and uh, reconstructed the whole coating machine. It was five years of work. Oh, wow. And then they also have a real factory, like a working factory in Berlin. They have chemical production going on every day. They're spilling films. They're selling films. Like it's all going on. They, they're real. <laughs> okay. This is what I don't understand. So you were in Italy. You, you would think that Adox would be there. You would think it, if it's not in the U.S., as a force, you know, like Ilford yeah. or Kodak, you would think that at least Europe would have a grasp on that. Yeah. Well, the thing is that Italy ha- is very, it's a very special country, huh? especially <laughs> in terms of people who sell products. And often they are, especially in the analog business, they are, let's say, old and uh, stick to their old ways. So gotcha. I was ordering from this store who had only like Ilford and Foma and nothing else and some local horrible Italian chemist. And that's it. Now there is this, there are those guys that are called Arsimago and they are in uh, Switzerland and Italy. And I think they're going to start selling out of soon. But, you know, they're a young team and they appeared on the market maybe three years ago, oh, not wow. longer. 
with you being an advocate, I think they're probably getting more business. Adox is getting more business, they better. I think so. Uh, I'm Hey, I'm going to, to buy some just because I'm starting to become more fascinated with positive film. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's and you amazing. posted that there was a reversal film from Adox and it looks amazing. It looks so beautiful. I, I'm not a fan of 35mm, right? Right. But in slide, it's something magical. You know, when you pull it out of, of the tank and you see the image immediately and it has such incredible, gorgeous, beautiful depth of blacks. It's like, oh, it's, it's like a jewel for real. I mean, just what you posted of, you know, I think it was yeah. a post of a bunch of rolls. Yeah. And just from there, it looked fantastic. You're still testing it, no? Well, okay, the story with this product is that technically, technically, theoretically, any film can be a reversal film. Any film can be processed as a positive, but not all films have a clear base, uh, which means that the highlights of your positive image will be great because the base is great. Right. Yeah, so you will get those positive. They will just look pretty ugly. If you scan them, you can correct them, but in projection, it will also be not as pretty. And when you pull them out, it won't be as pretty. And the adox films are on a clear base. And this is why they get such such a beautiful look. No, oh, like you said, they're magic. They're really nice. They, they In real life, they're even better. You know, those are horrible iPhone photos. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I always, you know, I post pictures of my prints and I'm like, this looks hideous. Yeah. I mean, there's not much you can do, you know? No, no. And <laughs> no. It's just an... My dog is is also not, oh, not okay. a fan of, of technology. <laughs> Your dog's like, no, they suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what she's saying. She was the first dog in the coating machine ever. Oh, it's how nice. Confirmed. The first no. confirmed animal visitor. Yes. So have you become essentially like an unofficial tester or are you an official tester of Adox? Well, no, I try to represent all the brands that I can find on the market. Even I tried some really crazy Russian chemistry. I don't even remember. It's called Silbera or something. I don't even know when where they're made. <laughs> but when I saw it in the store, I bought them just to try and their uh, sepia toner performed, you know? Uh, and then I really tried to test more or less everything on the market, except some obviously crappy films because it's just not my cup of tea. Right. Uh, in terms of material like film and paper, I prefer to go the reliable way. But also, honestly, there isn't my choice in paper. And, uh, you know, all the, uh, all the rest, like chemistry, I definitely try from, from a lot of brands. And uh, I, I support a lot of brands. And of course, oh, I love Ilford papers. I print everything on Ilford paper. <laughs> you, yes, it's, it's very obvious uh, in your videos and whatnot that, yeah. that that's kind of your workhorse. And that's not a bad yes. thing. Um, no. I think, though, as far as your video channel goes, and this is, um, we're going to segue into video too, because not long after you released your book, which was essentially that was your, um, that was your thesis, wasn't it, for your master's? Yeah. So you uh, introduced your, your video, your, your YouTube site. No, I started much before. I actually started even before I started my master's. I was still in Russia. Holy crap. Okay. Yeah. But I made those videos. Look, I wasn't even thinking about having a YouTube or do, like none of this. I actually, the, the hilarious thing is, I hope no one finds it now, but 
I had a YouTube channel in Russian and I was talking about completely random stuff there. <laughs> and I made this channel because I realized that I'm afraid of the camera. I'm not afraid of talking on podcasts. I'm not afraid of talking on the radio, but of the camera, whenever there was a camera that is pointing at me, I had this panic. I had this crazy fear and I thought that I want to work with it. But of course, in Russian, it was just easier for me. And I made videos about some dumbest stuff in the world. <laughs> And now I forgot the password, so I can't delete them. Oh, man. And some, But some of the videos are actually, I'm watching them, and they're pretty cool. They're about the history of Barbie dolls. <laughs> yes, uh, because I collect Barbie dolls, I have more than 700. What? And, yep. Oh, this is amazing. Please do this tell. This is an exclusive. I never said it anywhere before. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. 700 Barbies. Maybe more, maybe more. Maybe more, good Lord. All right, please tell me yeah. about the obsession and how this began. <laughs> okay, so uh, as a kid, I played with Barbies sure. and whatever, and then I grew up and I stopped playing with them, right? And so it ended like about age 12, I wasn't interested anymore. I think there were Pokemons and Tamagotchi at this point, <laughs> and now everyone can guess that I'm really old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, join the club. Yes, 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 you know, kids of the 90s. No, of the 80s in my case. But anyway, uh, there were those games. And so I forgot about Barbies completely. And then actually everything in my life is very random. And this was also random. I was in England. I was in a language camp. And we were taken to some other city, you know, for sightseeing. And then a crazy, crazy, crazy rain started. And uh, I just uh, ran to the nearest bookstore to hide from it. And in this bookstore, I had nothing to do for an entire hour. So I was circling the bookstore and I saw a book about collectible Barbie dolls. Okay. And I thought of getting it for my little cousin. And I picked it up and I started looking and I never knew that such beautiful Barbie dolls existed. Because all the dolls I saw were the play dolls and they're nothing special. But those, you know, they had the, those gorgeous dresses from Dior or Escada or other designers, and even from Hollywood designers who were doing costumes for Cher, like Bob Mackie. It's incredible. If you Google this, you'll be shocked. I will definitely be doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Google, uh, Google just Bob Mackie Barbie and you will see they're incredible. And when I came back to Moscow, I showed my mommy this book and I said, mommy, I think I want to start collecting Barbies. <laughs> And that's how And my mom, she's always supporting me, especially in crazy stuff. And we found this store in Moscow where they had Barbies from the 90s, the collectible Barbies. And we bought all of them. And that's how my collection started. So this it's not amazing. play dolls, of course. But then I started rescuing old Barbie dolls on flea markets. Now, if you go to flea markets, you will never buy a Barbie doll for two euros because they all know that they are old and of valuable. Of course, yeah. But back uh, when I was 15, which means like those dolls, no one knew the value. So I was buying them like in chunks, like, I don't know, for 50 francs because it was all in Switzerland, the flea markets, it was for 50 francs. I would buy a bucket of Barbie dolls. And then at home, I would wash them, comb their hair, dress them, and basically save them and then put uh, on display. And uh, yeah, that, that's how it went. And that's how the collection grew. I love these stories. So, so not only are you a collector, you are a rescuer of Barbies. Yes. Yes, uh, from those seven over 700, probably a good 300 are the rescued ones. And I have Barbies like from the 70s, from the 60s. I don't have the first Barbie because it costs a fortune. Of course. But I have the second one. Good Lord. Yeah. Wow. You are a card carrying Barbie paramedic. And I have the doll that was before Barbie 
from which the Barbie was copied. It's a German doll, actually. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. What is it? Does it have a name? Yes, it's called Lily, and it was a doll made after a comic book like persona who was named Lily and it was in a newspaper build. This newspaper still exists and it's like build Lily, uh, but build not spelled like build building, but right. B I L D. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that was the doll. And she was very sexy, like <laughs> uh, really a bit too much. And it was a doll for adults. Actually, it was like a souvenir doll for men. Okay. And then this woman who created Barbie doll, she bought the rights to this doll and she created Barbie after her. I mean, she made Barbie look a little bit less uh, sexy and more neutral, right. but they're like identical. That's the story <laughs> of Barbie. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But it's also vintage. You know, it's like photography. Everything I do has to do with the past. Yeah. I mean, well, it's it's the same with film cameras. You know what? Not yeah. even two or three years ago, you could buy any film camera super cheap. And now yeah. since... I hate to say this, but like every hipster on the planet is like, oh, I'm going to take photos. I'm. Yep. They've raised the prices of cameras exponentially. But yeah. I will tell you right now, my favorite uh, rangefinder camera is a Fed 2. No. Does it work? Yeah, it works great. I've taken, actually, um, I submitted some photos that I took with it to an art show, uh, which of course got canceled due to circumstances. Yeah. But hopefully that'll get shown in a month or two. And I got a Jupiter lens for it. Uh-huh. Oh. What a great, great. It's it's one of my favorite things. And people always give me the look you gave me like, it works? <laughs> yes, it works yeah. great. It works wonderfully. I never used a Soviet camera in my life. That's what I learned from the very beginning when I found my grandmother's Kiev. This piece of junk stops working any moment it, it can. <laughs> it just doesn't work. It's like in communism, you know? No one wants to work. Everyone wants the results. So this camera was very clearly communist. The lenses were good. So that's a paradox. Yeah, that's the weird thing. Yeah, no, actually, this has been a workhorse for me. It's never, it's never done me wrong. You are extremely lucky. I think so. Uh, from what I've read, <laughs> a lot of people are like, "Good God, they're just, they're so finicky, and they're, they just, they're junk." But I could bludgeon someone to death with this camera, and I'd probably take their picture afterward, and it would still work. <laughs> but so, your first camera. I want to talk about your first camera, seeing as that we're going to go back in history for a little bit. Was that your Yashica D? Okay, how far in history do you want to go? We don't have to go back to like, you know, when I was 10, I found this little camera. I was about to go to when I was five. Go to five. <laughs> Hell, let's do it. No, no, no. Okay, look, I, I, I wasn't really... Actually, okay, my first camera in a conscious age was a digital one. Okay. Yes, because I didn't know that analog photography existed, obviously. And I still stick, as digital cameras, I stick to Sony's. Me too. They're amazing and you don't participate in the Canon versus Nikon battle no you're just saying i'm just better than all of you guys <laughs> i'm just there with my sony <laughs> <laughs> yes as far as digital goes that's that's my go-to yeah and uh, all my first digital cameras were sony's and i was doing ah uh, you know what i was photographing like doing travel stuff because my parents had a touristic agency and uh we could travel for not free but for very little money a lot so they were always taking me with them and I was taking all those travel pictures. It's before travel blogging was anyhow, anywhere popular, huh? Oh, yeah. A good, uh, not even 10, like 15 years ago. So I started taking those pictures and posting them online. And uh, 
I in in Russian, of course, in Russian intranet on some blogging platform that's dead by now. <laughs> that's where I accumulated a bunch of people who were following me. And then uh, when I went to study uh, to Switzerland, and I discovered analog photography, so my first real camera. <laughs> no offense to Sony, but my first real camera. I had two simultaneously. That's the thing. My mommy bought them together. Oh, nice. From one guy, yes. I needed 35 mil for my class, but she also saw the Yashica D and bought it because it looked cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how it happened. So I got them together. It's a practica, which eventually I think I will change because the shutter release makes a horrible sound. Like the mirror goes <laughs> doo, 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 boom. <laughs> and my my hand just shakes and jumps. <laughs> so you cannot shoot with it below one. One 150th of a second. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. You just cannot. And even tripods, they jump. So it's a monster. It's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> and my Yashika, on the other hand, is like... Oh, yeah. I've I've heard wonderful thing about, about Yashikas. And uh, I've never used one. My very first medium format camera, again, uh, Russian, Lubital, of course. No way. Where did you get them? In America, where did you get them? Uh, in no, Texas. I, from Ukraine. You just bought them from Ukraine and shipped you, right? Yeah. Why did it come to your mind to <laughs> buy those cameras? Okay, so first things first, I am cheap. So when I first wanted to get into film, I'm like, okay, I want to see if... Um, I've always been a fan of photography, but I've never picked up a camera. Uh, not until about three years ago. Two, two or three years okay. ago. So I am very much a novice. I am very much an amateur. Uh-huh. But... I'm like, I'm not going to spend a lot of money on something that I may not stick with. Yeah. So I was on Etsy, oddly enough, and I saw all these Russian cameras. So um, I looked up Lubital and a lot of people were like, you know what? For a starter camera, it's not bad. So I picked it up. It was, uh, they claimed it to be super clean. It was. Uh, it, mm-hmm. st- it still works perfectly to this day. It takes amazing. It, actually, some of the best shots I've ever taken have been on the Lubitel. <laughs> but that started my love of uh, medium format. I was like, oh, yeah. crap, this is amazing. Like, uh, So 35 mil is just easy for me. Uh, it's a cheap yeah. way if I want to take some shots. Sure. Yeah. But um, like right now, I'm doing a project at my laboratory. I'm, I'm a clinical laboratory scientist. So what? Yeah. During this time, I go to my hospital and I'm trying to record or, or take portraits of my coworkers, my colleagues and what we do. And uh, so I've been using my Mamiya C220, which is now my the love of my life. Oh. The images that thing takes is amazing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing that in color. I'm usually a black and white fan, but I, I tried a few shots. I, I did a roll in black and white. And I'm like, it just doesn't capture the lab very well. So I went with Fuji Pro 400 and Portra 400, which is perfect. Portra is my favorite among colors. Oh man, yes. if it's color, yeah, Portra is amazing. Uh, 160 is my favorite, but in a laboratory setting, it's not going to happen. No, no, no. Anyway. So, so those are my forays. And uh, with the Yashica, you just fell in love with medium format immediately. You had to. Right. I don't know. I still, I think that's my preferred format, square. I just like square and I see much better in square than in uh, any other format. Right. I, I, have, a, I have a Bronica uh, 645 and uh, you have the Mamiya 7, no? Yes. Yes. It's, it's, it's like it's a work camera, you know? It's extraordinarily good for reportage. It's extraordinarily reliable, great. The lenses are fantastic. I have a full set of lenses except some like super uh, telephoto lens. I don't remember which one. 150, I think I don't have. 
but yeah it's a wonderful reliable beautiful camera but it's not square yeah and everyone was telling me but you can crop i'm like yeah i crop in my brain before i take the picture (laughs) if i have a rectangular viewfinder i will in my brain crop what i see exactly like this according to a certain lens of course yeah i cannot think in square and then shoot rectangular and some people live by six by seven uh that seems to be the most uh famous format today yeah i stick with the six by six i i'm with you i like square format i think they come out beautiful you know if if black if large format existed in square that's what i would shoot that's what i would want a large format but I know that you can have those cameras, blah, blah, but then good luck getting the film, huh? Yeah, this is true. So what brought you to large format? You picked it up recently, no? Mm. Have you been doing this no, for no, a no, while? No, mm. Large format is a long time ago. Story. Really? It's at least six years old, yes. Holy crap, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. So you just dove right in. Like once you got these cameras, it sounds like you, you were just like, I'm going to get all the things. It went very fast and it's all thanks to my photography professor in Switzerland. He He's like, he's totally awesome because he started with nothing but just a basement in a university where you have finance, international relations, media communications, but nothing about arts. So he was given a basement and they told him, if you can do something out of it, good luck. <laughs> and he did. But we, our enlargers had no timers. We had no, maybe we had one set of contrast filters for the entire lab or something. And we had to count (laughs) Mississippi 1, Mississippi 2, Mississippi 3 when we were exposing our film. We had no easels. So we had to tape uh, paper under the enlarger. It was very basic, but it was enough for me to fall in love. And so it was like parallel. You know, the darkroom part was going uh, for only maybe two months. No, wait, two Mm. semesters, it's four months, right? So it was four months when uh, there was darkroom. And afterwards, I did both photo one and photo two. And that's it. This university just simply did not offer anything anymore. It was, oh, wow. you know, it was not equipped for this. Uh, I took after, uh, afterwards and I took other photography classes. But, you know, that was like history of photography or digital photography or all this. But for the darkroom, that was it. That was the limit. And then one of the courses was called the Tuscany trip, which is a trip to Italy with large format cameras. Oh, nice. Yeah. So for a week, we lived in a villa in a medieval villa near Florence and uh, taking large format pictures. And I fell in love with 8x10. It was 8x10 immediately. I fell in love so freaking much. That I immediately said, mommy, my mommy, you know, it's like she's <laughs> my supporting. Yes. Yeah. I do have a dad, though. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> as you can imagine, he, he, he still doesn't understand what I'm doing. He does now. OK, I can say that in the past two years, he started understanding. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. There's always one parent that's like, I'm not sure. You know, I, w- I was lucky. My parents always supported me, whatever stupid stuff I was doing. My dad, you know, he really, I think three years ago when I told him, oh, I printed this photo uh, in the dark room. And he was like, how did you print in the dark? I'm like, well, with an enlarger and chemicals without a printer. That was his question. But, you know, even a person who really doesn't even know the process at all, he still supported me. That's incredible. He didn't understand what it was. He didn't really care what it was, but he supported me nevertheless. That's really, that's really great. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to have parents that did the same. 
So back to Tuscany trips and watch format. So I fell in love and I said, mommy, I think I need an 8x10 camera. And mommy said, okay. And <laughs> I found, okay, I didn't want to buy a used camera because, okay, very honestly, at this point, I did not know anything about cameras at all, right? I had my little practica and yeshika and that's it. <laughs> so I didn't want to buy something that would be potentially broken and I didn't know how to fix it. Right. So I needed a new camera, but I needed a very cheap one. And the cheapest one I could get was, uh, is Japanese actually, the Vista camera that I still mm. have. It's wonderful. For its price, it's oh, it's fantastic. So I got this Vista camera. I got two lenses, a uh, 210 and a 500. And I said, I want to do a documentary because uh, this uh, professor, he was doing documentary as well. He really inspired me to do something in large format. And he was shooting a documentary near Florence in Prato about the Chinese immigration. And I was his assistant there. So this was a really big inspiration for me. But to be honest, I think I was his assistant already after I did my documentary. But he started it before. So anyway, long story short, <laughs> there was an inspiration. And I thought I want to do something similar. Because I realized that it is possible to do documentary on large format. It's just a matter of organization. But imagine this. like I'm a 20-something girl who has... Uh, one week experience in shooting large format. And then she's saying again, haha, mommy, we are doing a project about a semi-abandoned town. And how did I find this town? My mommy was in the south of Russia for uh, some therapy for something like her back. She hurt her back and she was in therapy there. And I visited her. And we just went on a tour around the region. And we were going to Mount Elbrus. It's one of the highest peaks in Europe. Uh, we were just going there as, a, as tourists. And we passed through a town, which was like, it looked really kind of dodgy. It looked semi-abandoned, but there was something in it that just caught my attention, that just, you know, fascinated me, even though we never stopped there. And I asked uh, the driver, what town is it? How is it called? And he told me how it's called. It's an unpronounceable name. And uh, I said, okay, I really want to go back. And next time I um, went uh, there for therapy, I went with her again. And this time we took a driver and we went there specifically to this town. I went there with my Yashika first. I didn't have the 8x10 yet. Okay. And I went there and I walked around and I realized that this little camera is actually not enough to do what I want to do. And I just wanted to document this town. I don't know why. It was something magical, honestly, about it. And uh, we, we were passing through it. Everything was half closed. And we walked into a store. And there we met this woman who started talking to us. And her husband was a very well-known person in the city. So she, and he unfortunately passed away, but he left her and her daughter and her grandchildren there. And it's like only women who were living mostly in this town also. Interesting. Okay. Yes, because it's it was so abandoned that men didn't have work so they were mm. all going to different cities for work and sometimes it would be they go for for a month to like moscow or st petersburg and they just send money home and this town was mostly women or very old men wow uh, yeah so you probably got some amazing shots did you get shots of people oh yes so through those through this woman i basically could meet everyone she knew everyone there and everyone respected her a lot and Afterwards, after a couple of months, I came back with a large format camera, which I used for a week before that, a few trays for processing in the hotel room. And actually, this region is in the top five most dangerous uh, regions of Russia. Mm. Uh, people carry guns. People uh, can shoot each other in the streets. And uh, there are like tanks at the border and stuff like this. So it's, it's really fun. 
And uh, I went there with my mommy because I was afraid to go alone. I mean, was she a little apprehensive? Oh, my mommy. Oh, she's, uh, you know, she, she's, uh, she likes having fun, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm up for this really scary town. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my dad was against it. Oh, <laughs> because also it's a week before I was supposed to go there. Uh, a whole bus of tourists was shot. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. So it's serious. It's not like, ha ha he. No, it was serious. Right. I don't know why. I don't remember. It was so long ago. But anyway, a whole freaking bus was uh, shot there. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Maybe by accident because uh, I don't really know. And anyway, of course, my daddy panicked. So I had to lie a little and say, no, in the news, they got it all wrong. It was in a completely different region. And I'm going to a completely <laughs> different place. And, <laughs> and then I just oh. stopped responding. And, <laughs> and just left. Oh, yes. Nice. And then when you come back, you're like, oops, it yeah. was in the right place. You know, there is this part of Russia is also it's a Muslim part of Russia. And what is good about this is that they really respect older women. So mm. because I had my mother with me, to them, a mother is always like a figure to be respected. And with her, I felt absolutely safe. And people were so nice and so sweet. Actually, you know, if you don't walk around with guns or you don't yeah. provoke anyone, People are super respectful and super sweet and super open. And they were so happy that someone came and uh, started doing something about their town, that someone cared a, even a little bit. Even a tiny bit, yes. Yeah. That can make a world of difference to someone's uh, yeah. point of view. And I discovered so many things there that it, they had a, actually a sports school, which was closed now. But on, on the place of the sports school, now the, uh, the special forces guys, are trained in this camp because it's at such an altitude that it's very hard to breathe. So, of course, if they run and if they oh. climb mountains there, when they go to normal cities, they can perform much better. They're superhumans. Yeah. Yes. So there is this like superhuman uh, human training point there. Did you get any shots of that? Were you able to? No. Because it was probably secretive and all that. I have some guys who were doing sports there. Well, probably those were the guys. Yeah, look, it was so long ago. And I never printed those images because I didn't have a darkroom and I didn't really know very well how to print. And only now I finally sorted them out. But now I don't even know if they're processed well because I, I had no clue what I was doing. I was processing at night in the bathroom of the hotel. So some of them are even scratched a little. And I was processing like eight negatives at the same time because I had very limited time. I was exhausted by the end of the day. Are you interested at all in releasing some of that material? I'd love of to course. see that. Yes, yes. I would. You, you can see a couple of shots on my Instagram and on my YouTube. There is a video where I'm talking about this project in the very beginning. Uh, I'm talking on some conference or something. I'm talking about it. I'm showing some images. Oh, perfect. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I really want to see those. That That's very interesting to me. You know, for a person who held a electronic camera only a week in her life, I outdid anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I look at those images and I'm like, did I do them? Me? Like, me? Even nowadays, I don't think I can so consistently produce such good material. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I was just telling a friend of mine that I think I took better pictures when I first started than now. <laughs> so. nah. You know what? No, I, I, took, I take back much better pictures now and I print so much better. Oh, my God. Well, of course. I mean, it's, it's you've you went from a rudimentary yeah. dark room into now what you have, which is awesome. The Ansel Adams room. Ansel Adams room, yes. That's something that 
kind of drew me. So I, I saw your interview in Emulsive and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to check this out. Mm -hmm. So then I saw your YouTube mm -hmm. and I love the fact that you're giving tutorials on top of doing reviews on, on paper and chemicals and, and even film. But the fact that you also have lessons in there, um, I think is invaluable. I mean, it, yeah. I haven't found anyone that describes method like you do. Me neither. That's why I did it. Exactly. Yes. So I also follow Eduardo Pavez. He does a YouTube channel called Shoot Film. Uh-huh. Okay. And he's from Chile. And when I first was thinking about picking up a camera, um, he's a, a portrait photographer and also uh, basically a street photographer. Okay. He went through, he just explained things so well mm -hmm. and so in layman's terms that anyone could go to his channel and say, okay, I'm going to pick these things up. I, I know I need these things, but once I get them, I can do them. So he taught me how to develop film. He taught me how to just kind of not be so judgmental in things that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, he would even get down to the psyche of photography. It was really cool. That's interesting. I will definitely, definitely watch it because why I started doing those tutorials is not because I, well, you know, partially I felt like it was lacking. Yeah. But also because I couldn't find anything myself, you know? Yeah. I couldn't find any adequate tutorial on questions that I had. And uh, exactly. unfortunately, I don't do that many of them because it's obviously not my career, you know, the YouTube thing. Right. I only do it because I feel like I, I can help people this way because I had so much experience in this specific thing I talk about that I finally can share it. And I never do like, oh, you know, today we're printing a little bit. Ah, this didn't work out or this worked out or bah, nah, that, that's completely useless. I want to do things proper. And maybe sometimes it's, it's bad because it means that, <laughs> ah, you know, I have to sit down. Like now I have this idea about uh, a video, right? It's about films and it's about choosing a film, but not choosing a film. You know, I've watched every single video on YouTube, which talks about choosing film. And by the middle of the playlist, I already wanted to shoot myself and not film because <laughs> it was like, literally there, uh, there is this guy or girl like, um, yeah, I like this film. Yeah. It has a cool look. Yeah. But this one has a cooler look. Um, what? Like, are you freaking serious there? Uh, well, some of some were giving, of course, better information. Right. But most of it is like, this is cool. This is a cool look. Oh, that yeah, that's a high contrast film. Like high contrast film. Like, what do you mean? Because it can be simply developed in in a way. It can be underexposed and overdeveloped, and voila, it's Absolutely. high contrast. You know, what do you mean by this? Or some people reviewing film and uh, not even checking the real ISO, like come on you cannot shoot a film before you do it <laughs> now i will confess that ed is not super technical he's more yeah. for amateurs no he's a really good photographer yeah. and um he's a writer first and foremost but i think he made it his channel to talk to people that yeah. are just getting in and can't afford always to uh send their film out to be developed or whatnot yeah. Or very rudimentary ways of developing. He has a great episode called The Brute Method yeah. of Developing. <laughs> he doesn't use temperature, nothing. He's like, you can do it. It's not great, but you can do it. Oh, yeah, that totally. That totally. But the thing is that what I, what I kind of want to do is like something that no one has done because no one has taken the time probably to just sit down and systematize all of it. It's like how films are different when you buy film. The name of the film, orthochromatic, panchromatic, the sensitivity, the grain yes. size, the latitude, uh, all of this. What does it mean? 
yes, this is something that needs to be done. And yeah. I'm glad that you've thought of it. The only thing I would ask, yeah. someday it'd be awesome to see, is it even possible? So this is a question that was, okay, has always me. been in my head that I've always wanted to ask. No. Is it even possible to have like a rudimentary makeshift darkroom? Yes, of course. So like I live, I live in a very tiny apartment. So is it still possible for me to make prints? Absolutely. Of course. You can make prints with a light bulb. Of course. Really? Yeah. This is amazing. Oh, yes. And also I've seen, well, this guy, okay, he's an engineer, huh? But he built a really like the cutest and larger in the world out of wood, out of wood pieces. And it's a really? medium format and larger. Oh, nice. It doesn't make very big prints, but it's tiny. And I don't know inches, so I cannot tell it. Well, wait. So eight in eight inches, something like this. So it's something like maybe six inch. You can go metric. It's okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say it's like, it's a little thing that is like maybe seven inch by seven inch, you know, little cube and it has a little lens. Okay. He prints only eight by 10 maybe prints, okay. but it works. That's nice. And eight by 10 is kind of perfect for me. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I think for beginners, it's awesome. So don't think that you need some crazy equipment. You can build this stuff yourself. Well, that's the thing is where can we get resources on that? Or would you ever consider giving us like a tutorial on here's a here's a bathroom darkroom. Mm -hmm. Here's what you can do. Well, huh. the thing is that I was planning to do this. I have a bathroom darkroom. Apart from my Ansel Adams beautiful darkroom, I have a bathroom darkroom in my, actually in my dad's place. Ah. So here comes my dad who uh, <laughs> gave me pretty ugly but <laughs> bathroom <laughs> spare bathroom which no one uses so uh, he gave me this one to um, to to use and i have a bathroom darkroom and i had to set it up from zero because i was stuck with my dad in france for a while and i realized i need a darkroom right so i did a super basic one i have like this wooden table on some how you call those crossed legs you know that you can just fold and unfold oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah uh, and I had to buy it all from zero. So I kind of have this information, what you need to set up a darkroom as a total beginner. And I have a tiny Durstin larger. It'd be cool if we could take that information and then kind of go back yeah. to your other videos. Yeah, but the problem is, okay, the problem right now is that I'm stuck in Berlin yes. because of the coronavirus. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and this video was like supposed to be done already. But I just got stuck. France closed borders and uh, I just got stuck in Berlin and I had clothes. I still do. For only three days. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's a month now I'm here. Yeah. And it could be longer, unfortunately. Yes, I know. I, I will try to get to France eventually. Well, uh, yeah. Don't, don't, uh, don't be jumping, jumping lockdown and whatnot <laughs> to make this video. But uh, so we can at least look forward to it in the future. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. Like setting yes. up the bathroom, bathroom from zero. Yes. It's uh, it, it was interesting for me as well to do. This is awesome. So I can't wait for that um, because I'm a fan of your YouTube videos and you've, you've actually turned me on to things like um, playing a around a little more with Ilford. Uh-huh. And you've turned me on to Adox. Ooh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will be I will be ordering some adux film um the reversal process i think like the kits are really expensive right now okay i can talk about this so adux are now making the new reversal kit okay which is another video that i filmed in florence but i need some parts to be filmed like more of those parts i need to be filmed 
And unfortunately, I got stuck in Berlin again. Here we go. (laughs) And the funny thing is that I cannot even use the footage that I made back then because I changed my hair color in the process. (laughs) There's no continuity. (laughs) No, I I had like half blonde hair and now it's fully blue because I don't have (laughs) hair dye here. (laughs) I only had blue with me. Yes. So (laughs) this is all a ridiculous story. Reversal process. So adults are making this reversal kit, which is much more amateur friendly than uh, the Rolex kit or whatever. There is some other kit, right? I, I think there's a FOMA. FOMA. But, and unfortunately, I have not tried the Rolex kit or the FOMA kit, but about the FOMA kit, what I heard that is extraordinarily bad. And uh, the bleach bath, which is permanganate, you know, this, uh, this magenta-ish thing okay yeah it comes in powder and mixing it is the worst Mm. thing you can imagine i hate powder kits you know okay here we have a little like detour i also hate powder i hate powder with my whole heart however i had to use powder because when you travel sometimes you just take a powder Uh, bag with you it's easier when you travel but it's more practical adox again we're coming to this wonderful company changed my life in this their powder chemistry is freaking amazing because, not all of it though, huh? but the one that has written Captura technology, what it does, it's a powder that dilutes super fast. It creates no, you know, this, um, how do you call it, uh, cloud of white dust. It has no odor, no dust. It's absolutely safe. You do not inhale this. And when you stir it, it's like, ta-da, done. When I saw it for the first time, I was like, ah, why did I never try this before? So try their fixer. I mean, I'm now totally sold on this. It's because it's also easier to store. It takes zero place. It's just there. Is it out? Yeah, it's sold. Ah, wait. Right now, well, they should be producing more of it soon. So, I mean, but it is an available product that is sold. And yeah. And this this is for the reversal. No, this is just a separate note, huh? This is a separate note oh, that the powder, yes, <laughs> that there are powders which are not as horrible because I hate powders. Yeah, but those powders are amazing. Okay, back to the reversal. Yes. In the reversal, uh, this permanganate thing, not only just the powder is bad because when uh, you would mix it, it also had this horrible brown uh, residual flakes in it. So it was mm. not a really nice experience for users. Right. So in the Adox kit, they have this pre-mixed, this permanganate. It still stains everything it touches. So you have to use gloves, but at least it's pre-mixed, you know? Right. And you have to mix it just one plus one and that's it. Oh, perfect. Yeah, but at least it's not, you know, the stirring the powder. Right. And it's only two bottles. It's a developer and the bleach. And then the clear bath comes in powder form, but, you know, it's, it's just a little bit. It's like 50 grams. I don't know in pounds. And it's per two liters, which I also don't know how to convert. And actually, this clear bath is optional. Oh. Well, it's better to do it. I tried without it and I had stains. So. Ah, okay. And uh, basically, because the Rolai kit, I think it has like six steps or something. Mm-hmm. This one, or six bottles. This one has also two bottles. Well, technically three, let's count with a clear bath. So it's really much more user-friendly from the start. It's almost like dealing with a, a color developing kit, which usually has two bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it was so easy. I thought I wouldn't be able to do it on my own because before I did reversal and someone always was helping me. But I did it on purpose on my own. I didn't want anyone to help me. I didn't read anything online. I only took their instructions 
and read them and they were so good, excellent instructions. And I just followed step by step. It was you use the first developer, uh, you wash it, you bleach it, you clear it, and then you, you expose before that and then use the first developer again and boom, it comes out. Perfect. So I was very happy. This is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very easy, very friendly. Is it available yet or? No. So here comes okay. Corona. Ha. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be available. That's why I already had the product, right. you know, to test. But it was just, you know, the first batch that they do even for internal use. Right. So, of course, being the lucky person that I am, I got preview of this product. Which is perfect. But I can't get any more. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot even get better. Yeah. yeah. You were using Scala 160, no? 50. 50? Okay. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? I have both. I actually shot both. I'm, I'm a fan of 160 film. Portra 160 is absolutely one of my favorite, yeah. favorite things yeah, to yeah, use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are some other 160 films as well. But a black and white 160, I've never come across. Not me, but I'm also a novice. So I'm sure someone else has. Well, technically, if you shoot this film at 200 and you process it as a positive, you'll get a positive. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, I can't wait. So when that happens, maybe I'll just buy some rolls and just wait until the kit comes out to develop. You could. Yeah, for sure. So I have to ask. Okay. Being, being um, that you live in mainly in Florence. So you're always, I know you're always traveling, but, yeah. but Florence is the dark room. Florence is the dark room. The dark room. So have you tried Verania film? Verania. Uh, ay, ay, ay. The P30? The P30. I have a roll of it. Yeah. Actually, which was given to me personally by the guy who is uh, working at Ferrania. Many people are saying that, oh, this film is just some old frozen stock, whatever. But no, it's not true. They did a production run. It's a real film. You know, it's all legit. Yes. So that is like, let's get out of the way. It's, it's, it's a real film. huh? Now let's get into my personal taste. Have you tried this film? Can I, ask I have not. I, I was thinking about getting a role just for fun. Well, just for fun is perfect. Let's say I am more of a fan of films which give me more control. Because this film, I have not seen the official curves of this film. But looking at the images that are being posted, I feel that however you expose it, you will always have pretty dead shadows. If you look at images, they always, you know, they have this middle where the grays are okay. You know, they're just transitioning into one another okay. And then it just drops, boom, and it becomes black. Oh. Yeah. I mean, you, you just look look at images and that's what you will see if you analyze them. Right, right, right. If all the images, like, okay, if from a film, some images look like this, I would say that it's the person who took a picture in a certain way and processed it in a certain way. But if those are official images that are provided by the manufacturer, it means that that's the maximum that the film can do, you know? Right. This is true. Because obviously, if you look at, for example, Delta films, you will see beautiful open shadows. This is my favorite film because it's, it's so soft. Ah, I just love it. I like Delta film as well. Yes, they're wonderful. And you have those wonderful open shadows. You have a beautiful transition from the deepest black. The curve goes wonderfully to the highlights and the highlights are textured. I mean, of course, if it's shot and processed properly. So... If you look at the images provided by Ilford, you will see all the tonal range, including the shadow detail, which is not the case with Ferrani. Now, I have not tested this film personally. I have not done the curves. Mm. I have not seen their curves. So 
this is just a random claim based on the images I see online. Right. So theoretically, maybe it is possible to make this film work if you expose it not at the box speed, but maybe at a lower speed, and then you over, and then you develop differently. So you you maybe playing around with it could figure it out. Yeah, but I have just one roll, so I don't know. I might just bracket it and just process differently all the parts of it. I don't know what to do with it. I'm now just theoretically thinking what I could do to make it work. This is good, though. <laughs> yeah. Do you think you would make a video on it? You know, uh, everyone is just always praising all the new things analog, right? Whatever comes on the market like new films it's all like oh it's amazing it's so cool it has a cool look exactly and all the reviews are so positive and actually there's also like a challenge for example uh here i will get a, give an example completely different but, but i being a woman i love makeup videos and i watch tons of them and all those bloggers who do the reviews of the new products and the new palettes they try to be extremely positive about them because otherwise they do not get like the pr kits from the companies if they start telling the actual truth about the product they're risking a lot sure yeah so sometimes i'm just being very careful with some products and i'd rather just not do anything maybe if i test this ferrania and I say, oh, no, but actually, if you like overexpose a little bit and you underdevelop a little bit, that just plays out wonderful and it's a beautiful film. Right. So if this comes out, maybe I'll do a video on it. No, I, I understand your, your standpoint on that. You see, I just uh, I don't want to talk negatively about something because maybe some people, they want this look. Absolutely. And they, uh, but the thing is that they don't know that with another film, they can get this look uh, controllably. <laughs> <laughs> right. In a controllable way. Right. And it may actually be yeah. cheaper um, or, you know, it's more economical or it's more widely available. It can be cheaper. It, it can be simply better. Yeah. I mean, if you take a good, legit film and if you want this like super blown highlights and super dead shadows, you just underexpose to stops and overdevelop to stops. And here you go. <laughs> and that's it. Right. Uh, yeah. You don't need a film to do no. that. You can just process no, no, it. No. Yeah. Those, I mean, I guess for those of us that don't want to process, um, I do everything at home, yeah. but uh, for the people that I've either don't want to do it or are just too intimidated by the process, yeah. sure, go get it. And, and that's the result you're going to get. Dang, that, that's a really good point. I never thought of it. You know, I'm always, see, I'm already too far from people who are just picking up the camera. But you're absolutely <laughs> right. Because if you want that look like this, but you know what? Okay, well, I can, I can say this, that labs, if you send to a lab, you can instruct the lab to push or pull your film. Absolutely. So, okay. Absolutely. But you're completely right that if I want this look without making effort, hmm, see, that's professional deformation. And say you don't, uh, you don't even know what pushing and pulling is. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, it's a wonderful technique. You can get anything with it. Basically. And also, okay, okay. But another thing is that you also don't need those films with special looks because if anything, if you shoot properly, like properly and develop in a lab properly afterwards, the scanned negatives, you can do anything in Photoshop. Yes. The only thing I usually do is I'll, I'll take out the, of course, the dust spots yeah, and yeah, hairs. Yeah. But other than that, I, I leave it the way it is, unless it's like, my scanner is not the most amazing thing on the planet. So you might have to do some correction, but mm -hmm. you don't have to be a purist if you don't want to. No, yeah. Just like you said, just put it in Photoshop and give it some post mm -hmm. and you're good.
you know what once you start printing like you will see the difference like if you start playing with filters you will see how much the image changes you will want to change it because the negative is not the end no it's not and i'm a huge fan i'm a very tactile person uh, some of my friends will roll their eyes not that oh film's stupid but they're like there's an easier process yeah. there's digital I mean, you can still take good photos. And I am in that camp. I believe that anyone can take a good photo yes. um, with anything. Yes. The camera is just a tool, but it's just my preference. I like very hands-on things. I like to do things. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's just too easy with digital. Same here. Yes. I, I, I love having to remember to make settings on my camera. <laughs> I, I, I like all these tactile things. And I like to have a tangible result. It's like Christmas every time I, I develop film. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, you know, what what is this? I found out very quickly that whatever in my head when I was taking the shot, I'm like, ooh, this is going to be good. Uh -huh. It was always the shittiest thing. Really? <laughs> yes. And then the shots that I just randomly took were awesome. Hmm. So it taught me to not overanalyze an image. You know what? With me, it's completely opposite. When I know the shot is good, it will be good. Mm. Yeah. But when I'm just like, I just need to finish this role. <laughs> That's the worst pictures ever. But usually it's like when I take a picture, I analyze everything, I expose properly, I shoot from a tripod or I just stand there with a with a camera like for a good at least five minutes and I think very, very calmly, okay, how do I compose it? How Did I focus right? Boom. And maybe I just take a second shot of the same thing, absolutely same, identical exposure, everything. Just because sometimes if I scratch one of the negatives, I have a backup. Ah, yes, this is true. I think that's the professional in you, though. Have you always thought about your shots, yes. like even from the beginning? Yes. So this is just this is your mentality. This is the way you work. Well, here I can thank Ansel Adams because my photography basically started with his books. Gotcha. And uh, that's what he's writing about, that you have to think about the shot. And he, well, he is actually writing, you have to think about the print. Mm -hmm. when you and now I think about the print, of course. Of course. Because I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to put this contrast filter. I'm going to print on this and this paper with this developer. I'm going to tone it like this. So that is why I'm going to expose it like this. There is someone I interviewed on my first episode, Jessie, uh, just opened. She's opening a community darkroom. Room so she can have classes and teach and I mentioned to you I'm like there is someone out there that you can go to Florence mm -hmm. and she'll teach you all the things mm -hmm. and you're not the only person to offer photography classes but I think you're the only one if not one of the very few that will offer from start to finish here's how you shoot a camera mm -hmm. here's how you expose and here's how we're going to do it in the dark room and all of this in five days and all of it in five days and it's worth the money okay. yeah but but really I had people uh, in my last workshop no the previous before the last one I had this girl who never held the, the film cover in her hands never she just wanted some inspiration because she's a graphics designer right so uh it was all completely new to her i even have to, to give her my camera my own camera she was like completely <laughs> completely new and by the end she was making amazing prints like beautiful it's just about teaching the way of thinking that's it mm -hmm. and i think that the biggest problem when you're all alone printing in your darkroom, you cannot judge if you did good or bad because you don't have anyone next to you to say, this could be better. Like someone look at the negative and say, okay, you can print this better. Right. Because you don't know how to judge. You look at it and you think, okay, something came out. Thank goodness. Okay. Maybe I should stop right there. But you don't know the full potential in uh, what you're doing. So yeah, this girl, you can see on Instagram, uh, 
it's one of the very recent posts. Yeah, this girl, she has curly hair and she is like holding this uh, framed image. I mean, this person, it was one, one of her first friends. That's amazing. No, it was last in the workshop, actually. First ones were not that good. <laughs> but uh, the workshop that followed, uh, this uh, gentleman brought his old negatives and his prints. And uh, the first thing we did is we reprinted the same negative, uh, like with my explanations. And he's like, he just held both of them and said, this is impossible. Like he was shocked <laughs> that with the same negative, you can do something completely different. And it's just about just telling the person it's possible. But I can say that, you know, this capability of judging what is possible or not, it's not like I'm so genius and it's like by myself locked in my drug room, I could do it. <laughs> because I was, uh, when I was doing my MFA, I was assisting my uh, photography professor for several semesters. And even when I was not assisting, I was always hanging out in the dark room with the kids, with undergraduates, because they are the ones who make the biggest amount of mistakes. So you can learn from them a lot. And sometimes when they make mistakes, something awesome comes out. And so you learn this way. And always it's a big group. So everyone out of like 12, 8, 12 people, they have their own mistakes. Of course. Uh, once I had a very small group, so I could follow them all. And it's really interesting to see how they're thinking and how they're transforming their thoughts to the paper. And I was, um, I was learning a lot from the beginners, like so much. I love that you post the the final products of your students. You know, I uh, in my darkroom, I have like a whole wall of pictures of the photographs of the students. That's awesome. I love it. Keepsakes are amazing. Yes, I'm super proud of them. And it's like my own images, by the time that I have the final print, I already hate them. <laughs> but I don't have the same feeling towards the students' work, of course. Of course. So when they succeed, to me, it's the biggest happiness in the world. Of course. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're always hypercritical of yourself, but to see other yes. people really improve. Yeah, and others, I'm like, oh, this does, don't worry, no one will see it. It's because <laughs> I look like an outsider. Absolutely. No, and, it, and it's great getting advice from, from a pro like that. Just to be like, don't worry about these things. You know, you've yes. done good. You're actually teaching them to be critical of themselves, but not hypercritical of themselves. Exactly. That's, you know, actually the hardest students to manage are those who already know something. Right. And especially those who know a lot. I do learn from them, but, you know, breaking habits is really hard. Absolutely. It's like, it's almost, it's not impossible because usually people who come to those kind of workshops, they already made a commitment to improve. Mm -hmm. So they want to do something new. And sometimes, uh, sometimes it's like, okay, you can do it in a different way. You know, it's like, relax. Also an interesting statistic is that a lot of people who come to workshops are engineers. I really do not know why. <laughs> it's just my personal little statistics. They're either IT or engineers. And all those people are really precise. And photography is about precision, but it's also about emotions. It's about the experience. It's about letting go and let things happen. Yes. And for the first days, maybe it's like, don't worry. This will not affect things. <laughs> Just don't worry. Just let it go. I've seen people do much worse and they still got their images. Just just relax. You're making the robots become self-aware. <laughs> no, they're not robots. They're just extremely precise. They do have this uh, emotional side. Otherwise, they wouldn't do analog. Absolutely. But then it gets stuck at the at the engineer part. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it's ingrained in their minds. This is how they think. It's it's all logic. Yeah. You know what? They are much easier to deal with than the art people. I could see that. Art people, 
there is no freaking logic. With those people, <laughs> I never say relax. I never tell them to relax. I always tell them, okay, now we have to be really precise. Do you see I marked here with the pen? So you put chemistry until right here. Nice. Did I tell, how many times did I tell you to rotate the tank? You do it like this. <laughs> so it's just. <laughs> so you're kind of switching on and off between people. You're like, okay, this one I have to be yeah. like this. This one I have to be like this. Yes. Yes, of course. That's actually a really good trait to have. Um, I'm not good at that. I'm, I am me and I can't differentiate how I do things with people. Mm. I'm, I'm a lead in my laboratory. I'm like, don't let me train people because if they don't, if they don't have my mind frame, then I can't train them. I become very frustrated. Uh, I'm very impatient. I commend people like you <laughs> that can do these things. Um, I have a very good friend, my best friend that uh, is a teacher. She's an instructor in language and she's exactly like you. She can say, okay, this kid is going to learn like this. I'm going to teach. I'm going to switch my style. And uh, it's, it's amazing to watch. So, man, I could go on all day. But last thing I want to ask, I think every one that picks up a camera nowadays, especially the, I, I'm going to say the young hipster population. Let's say it. Let's just label. Yeah. They're like street photography, street photography. We want to do street photography. And it's like, that's fine. And street photography is cool. I think everyone has to find their voice though. If you really want to get into photography, you have to figure out what you like to shoot. Yeah. And I finally figured out that I like mundane things and I always gravitate to mundane photographers not to say that they're boring but you're taking photos of mundane things but they speak to you yeah joel Majorowitz. yeah greg gerard is one of my favorites and then you so when i started looking into your work i'm like oh my god my favorite photograph from, that you've taken by far is i believe it's in your book it's with the vase and the cup yes i saw that photo i'm like holy crap like it just i, I was absolutely blown away by it <sighs> Thank you. It's one of my favorites too. Yeah, it's it, it was just such a great photo. So I've been following all of your work and I'm finding more and more photographers that are focusing on the mundane and finding out that's kind of what I like to shoot too. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. or it can be hard if you're a street photographer. You have to walk up to them and you have to get a certain mood or emotion out of them yeah and one of my good friends is an amateur but she's a gifted street photographer and she doesn't even realize it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i think it's harder to see something plain and make it something emotional so that's where i go with that so what kind of brought you to go in that direction was it ansel because ansel was more of a landscape guy oh no i hate landscapes yeah me too if there is anything i really hate is landscapes <laughs> i don't think there is anything that i really want to do less maybe naked women that is yeah. <laughs> that's another thing that i really am not very interested in um well what brought me there yeah can you think of like a point in your photography life yes of course yeah yeah of course there is a very specific point yeah the, there is a very specific point yes uh and actually you know like right now when we were talking i was uh, taking the picture it's a super mundane thing it's bed sheets that are Hanging, drying on a trampoline. Right. Exactly. I mean, there is nothing. And I think that's the shot I will be most happy from the entire role because the previous roles, they were street. Uh, uh huh. And I took them and I knew they would be good and they would be balanced. They would be nice. The, the light is good. So probably, you know, this film is going to take it nicely. Blah, 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 blah. I already thought how I'm going to process it. But this shot there, it was just magic. There was just some certain kind of mood about this uh, light, about this wind, about those textures. And you can interpret a lot of meanings into it. Well, when it's a street photo or if it's a landscape, 
you can't interpret much into it. It's true. It's what it is. Yeah. A beautiful landscape is a beautiful landscape. Uh, interesting street photo is, let's say, an interesting person doing something unusual. So it is what it is. Of course, you can uh, interpret social meanings into it. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I'm not saying that it's plain and uninteresting. For example, my favorite, one of my super like top, top favorite photographers is William Klein. Mm. I'm not shooting anything that is anyhow similar to what <laughs> he does. But I love him. As, and also as a human, he's super interesting. I read his biography because I wrote a paper about him at university, so I researched a lot. And his uh, video works are amazing. And he met his wife. He was going on a bicycle and saw her in the street. And that's how they met, I think, in Paris. And they lived their whole life together. Yes. Uh, Anyway, that's a little side story. So, of course, a street can be meaningful. It's just not for me. Right. That's it. So the turning point was that first, okay, you know, when everyone picks a camera, we'll do a photograph, photograph flowers, also landscapes, of course, like something that is commonly beautiful, right? Right. Because we are thinking, I pray to God that something on this film happens. I pull it out and there is an image. And you don't give a damn what's on this image. <laughs> <laughs> and then... A couple, like maybe a hundred rolls goes like this. No, okay, not a hundred, maybe 50 rolls. You can just forget them. I don't remember who said the first 10,000 images you take are the worst in your life. Oh, uh, oh, uh, it wasn't it, wasn't it Henry Cartier? Possibly. Yeah, yeah. It was some, some, some big guy who said that thing. I don't necessarily believe it is true because randomly we can all take a really beautiful image. Just if you shoot big amounts. We're talking here about conscious photography, right? Yeah. So the first 50 rolls just counted as unconscious technical training. Of course. And then you more or less know your material, you know how it reacts to light, you know how it reacts to development. And only at this point, you can start bending this material's possibilities to express something possibly more. And that's when you already start looking for things that interest you because you can already think in terms of film and developer. It's already in your head and you know how the light transfers to this film. And I always advise everyone to not change films. Choose maximum two films that you like, maybe 100 and 400 speed, Mm -hmm. and just stick with them until you know them like by heart. You shot them in every possible situation. You maybe tried several developers and you know what you're getting. That's really good advice. And that is when you become free. That's when you get the freedom to really catch some kind of moments and you respond more emotionally to things around you because you also know that you can transfer it on film in a way that you like. And here, yeah, you just have to listen to yourself and see what attracts you. But for me, there was like an intermediary step, which was called the darkroom. Right. Because I really love, I really wanted to print. You know, I can't say I loved printing. I always knew that that's what I need to do. It was always in my head. I'm not a photographer unless I print. And only during my master's, that's when I started printing. And my first year, I didn't care at all what was in the image. Hmm. I just wanted to get good prints. And actually, the more challenging the negative, the better. So honestly, it was just those large format shots of some abandoned places. Why? Because it's beautiful textures, it's beautiful light. You know, it's uh, it's not even unusual. Everyone shoots abandoned places. Oh, it's become the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the most common thing ever. But of course, to my professors, I was uh, saying that uh, there is some deeper meaning in those places. There was none. <laughs> it was only about the exercise of right. printing and nothing else. 
But you know, in an art school, you have to justify yourself all the time. But afterwards, of course, okay, so I reached this point when I made this giant print from a 4 by 5 negative, which was pretty difficult. There were like all the zones in one, a super bright sky and super dark bushes, and then this abandoned sitting in the middle, and I managed to dodge and burn and split filter print, and blah, blah, it was beautiful. I still have this print. Actually, now it's too dark to my taste. But anyway, that was a moment where I could say, okay, I am confident in my skills in the darkroom. Now that I'm confident in my skills, in photography, and I'm confident in my skills in the darkroom, what do I want to say? Because again, before, okay, I was getting those images on film, but I never felt satisfied unless I could print finally. And there comes a like a dramatic personal story. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of what I wanted out of these podcasts is to talk to people more in a casual manner. So yeah, personal stories all abound. Okay, the personal dramatic story was that between my first and my second year of the master's, I broke up with my boyfriend. And of course, it was dramatic. Of course. I, no breakup. No, actually, some breakups are easy. But anyway, this one was not. And uh, even though, you know, it was, it's not like now I don't regret it at all. huh? Now I'm super happy it happened. Of course, hindsight. But of course, in the moment, you have those memories and you're a bit torn. Was it the right decision? What was it not? And all these kind of things. And I was in not really in the mood to go anywhere and photograph anything. And in terms of technical abilities, I already reached a point where I needed something more. And I remember I was just, you know, staying at home and I didn't really know what to do, where to go. I had to keep my studies rolling. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I have, I felt such emptiness. And uh, suddenly I just started, uh, oh, and I didn't, was, I wasn't in the mood to go somewhere to shoot, you know, because all those abandoned places you have to pack and go. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a preparation. I couldn't even drag myself out of home. I didn't want to, I wanted to like just process all the emotions. And I had my camera there with my film and I was very lucky. I had an apartment with the most beautiful light ever, but now my apartment has even more beautiful light. Anyway. I had a really beautiful light there. And I started seeing this light, you know, that I saw every single day. And it was something new to me. I said, wow, I have this beauty right here. I don't have to go anywhere. And, and even some movements of the curtains, some light that is falling under the curtains, the dark curtains, and then the light that is shining under. It was almost a metaphor to how I was feeling in the moment. Because in the moment, I was sad, but I knew that something good was coming and I was not wrong. Ha. I was really not wrong. <laughs> so I started seeing metaphors in the most simple things that surrounded me. And I shot an entire roll of just things in the apartment. Or uh, it I had this iron that was standing on the floor and it was unplugged. And there was this just cord with a plug. It was laying on the or on the floor or on the bed sheets i don't remember and as and to me it it made sense because it's something that's unplugged that's uh you know out of function there is no electricity running it made sense now and before i was overlooking it because i was always thinking that the subjects are somewhere in the world and you have to hunt them down but you don't right things speak to you if you let them do it so that was the turning point you know and to be honest i that's what i'm most grateful to this guy for for the breakup, because it really turned my entire outlook on photography, on how I see the world, how I see things. And right now, it's like once you see this, you cannot unsee it. You cannot unfeel it. It is often that the darkest moments usually bring you to the light if you let it. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Yes. 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 Absolutely. And this was the experience. <laughs> and literally, it took you to the light. <laughs> it did. <laughs> oh my goodness! It did. It did. Oh. <laughs> well, man, I have a million more questions, but but uh, we'll, we'll cut it short. You know what? I honestly, if you'd ever want to come back, you're more than welcome to come back anytime. We can talk photos. Because I have a million things to ask, but I really do appreciate you taking the time and just kind of chatting about stuff. Thank you. Photochromatic Podcast is recorded, engineered, and produced by Joseph Jacobs. Music by Suffer City. You can find us at our website, photo-chromatic.com, or Instagram and Facebook at Photochromatic Podcast. You can email us at photochromaticblog at gmail.com.